worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is David Meerman Scott, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast with Douglas Burdett. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett. My goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas to make you a better marketer so you can grow your business. Don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by David Meerman Scott, and we're going to talk about his newest book, The New Rules of Sales and Service, how to use agile selling, real-time customer engagement, big data content, and storytelling to grow your business. David is an internationally acclaimed marketing and sales strategist, author, and keynoter. Forbes magazine said that David is, quote, one of those select few people who saw and understood the social media phenomenon as it began. He's the co-author or author of 10 books, three are international bestsellers. The New Rules of Marketing and PR, now in its fourth edition, has been translated into 26 languages and is used as a text in hundreds of universities and business schools worldwide. It is a modern business classic with over 300,000 copies sold thus far. David also authored Real-Time Marketing and PR, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, Newsjacking, and Worldwide Rave. He co-authored Marketing the Moon, now in pre-production, as a feature-length film titled The Men Who Sold the Moon. He also co-authored Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. He's a recovering VP of marketing for two publicly traded tech firms, a former sales manager, and a bond trader. He has definitely spent his time in the trenches of both marketing and sales. David, congratulations on the new rules of sales and service, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Hey, Douglas. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate it, and thank you for that kind introduction. Well, great. Tell us the story about what led to this book. Oh, it was actually kind of fun. I was um, I was actually having beers in Nantuck- on Nantucket Island at the Cisco Brewery, which is a fantastic spot. It was a beautiful July day, sunny Uh, with my good friend, Brian Halligan. Brian is the CEO of HubSpot and also is my co-author on Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead, one of the books I wrote. And we were just talking about how far we had both come with the idea of of what's going on with the web and how people are making their own buying decisions. And uh, HubSpot, of course, pioneering the idea of inbound marketing. And we both agreed that it's time for sales to make changes, much like marketers had made changes over the past, uh, you know, roughly a decade. Sales seems to be lagging behind. And that was where the idea hatched that I needed to write a book. And uh, I've had many, many people tell me before then that, you know, their, their sales colleagues don't get these ideas and they needed to get their sales colleagues up to speed. But it was really that discussion with Brian in July that got me to the point where I felt like I could define what was going on and, and, and write about it in the book that eventually came, The New Rules of Sales and Service, that, that was released 
in um, uh, Q4 of 2014. Well, there's nothing like a good beer there to, yeah, uh, exactly. to get things moving. Well, um, and, and, you know, a lot of people come up with good ideas over beers, but, um, you know, I, a good idea isn't worth a damn unless you actually execute on it. So I, I was actually able to write the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Accounts for uh, a lot more. Talk to us about why sales and service are experiencing such a revolutionary transformation. The main thing is that buyers are now in charge. I mean, it used to be for decades and decades that it was really difficult to get information about the companies that you might want to do business with and the products and services that might, you might want to buy. And that's because, you know, it's just hard to get information. Um, you know, if you wanted to buy a new car, for example, you could buy a car magazine. You could ask your friends and family members for advice. You could perhaps buy Consumer Reports magazine or book and you know, read a little bit about the various models that you might consider. But ultimately, you're sort of at the mercy of going into the dealership and talking to the dealer. Today, if you want to buy a new car, uh, you go online and, and you can spend days doing research. You can find independent blogs of people who own a car and them talking about uh, what they experience with it. You can go to independent review sites where where people post their ideas and their comments on that car. You can compare them to other cars. There's all sorts of things that you can do so that by the time you're ready to go into the dealership, you are armed with tons and tons of information, and you're much, much more equipped to make an intelligent buying decision. And for that reason, the sales situation that used to be sort of stacked against consumers now really benefits consumers. So from that perspective, things have really changed. Now, the good news for companies is that if they understand how that works, they can continue to be, be successful in the new uh, world. But it means that they have to think differently. They have to act differently. They can no longer practice the old school hard sell. It needs to be more of a consultative sell. They need to recognize that people come to a relationship having done you know, many estimates that I've seen suggest 80% of the research is done by the time somebody engages with a salesperson. And it's not just autos, of course, it's any it's any product or service. Mm -hmm. To talk about autos, I've heard that it's really causing a lot of trouble and trauma within the car dealership industry because they're coming to terms with this extremely well-informed buyer who sometimes knows more about a particular model than the poor guy trying to sell them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that happens. And so it's no longer the idea that the best salesperson is the one that wins. Now it's really the person who is the best content curator that can win. The person who um, does the research to learn what's being said on those other sites that really understands the content that that buyer is likely to have, that understands, you know, what's going on on YouTube and, and Twitter and other, and other social networks. And it's somebody who's willing to go on the web and curate content for the buyers. And, and that's pretty rare commodity when it comes to salespeople, somebody who's willing to help the buyer in their research process with curating content other than just the brochure that their company produces. But I think ultimately when people show how helpful they are, that they can certainly when a salesperson, I mean, shows how helpful they are, they can certainly convince a buyer that they're somebody who's worthy of doing business with. And 
it pushes them further along in the sales process than they would otherwise be. Mm -hmm. David, in the book, you talk about the concept of we're all in sales and service. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily in those departments that might not understand how they actually play a role. Can you talk a bit more about how we're all in sales and service now? Absolutely. So any entrepreneur, any business owner, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, um, a, a person who runs a restaurant. I mean, these you're, you're all in sales. You're always in the process of being part of the education of consumers. And if you understand that and you don't let it freak you out like some people do, you know, you can do a much better job with influencing people to perhaps choose your company to do their tax returns or go to your restaurant to, um, to share a meal. At the same time, in larger companies, anybody who's got a customer-facing role is in sales and service. And interestingly, one of the things I found in the research for this book is that people who are in customer service are actually ultimately in sales because the companies that deliver the best service uh, have the most people who, number one, buy more products from them, or if they're in some kind of subscription business like a software product, they get higher renewal rates. Uh, and they're also much more likely, if they have good uh, service experiences, to recommend that product or service to a friend. So let's go back to our friendly car dealer. What that means is that it's not just about selling people cars. It's also making sure that they're incredibly happy once they already own a car, because Inevitably, it needs to be serviced, even if it's just the annual service or you know something goes bad and it needs to be replaced. If that experience is, goes well, you're much more likely to buy another car at that dealership. You're much more likely to recommend that to a friend. And ultimately, that's what drives business. So I'm absolutely convinced that we're all in sales and service today. And I have a hard time thinking of any business that doesn't have to make repeat sales. So when you burn a customer, like not only do you not get them, they now have a megaphone to tell the world. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. I mean, every, every single customer now has access to the tools to be able to communicate to, to millions of people. You know, if you're dissatisfied with a company that you're doing business with, you can tell the world by writing a blog post, writing a review, tweeting about it. Uh, on, on the flip side, if you're happy you can do the same. In fact, just before we um, started this conversation, I tweeted a picture of some shoes, uh, Echo brand shoes, ECCO. I've worn Echo shoes now for over 10 years. And every three years or so, I replace the shoes. I buy essentially the same model. Um, they last three years. I wear them virtually every day, the same pair of shoes. And I'm happy about them, so I shared that. You know, I've got 100,000 followers on Twitter. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's the idea. You do a good job, people will talk about you. Well, we'll have to uh, include their link in the show notes. One thing you talked about that was very interesting uh, thing is uh, the sales cycle is now the buying cycle. And it brings to mind the notion of the salespeople have their funnel or the process they want people to go through. And the consumer's not behaving uh, like they want them to. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it used to be that salespeople and, and sales management would map out the process by which they will sell a product. And if it's a typical B2B sale, 
uh, of a you know of a reasonably expensive product, uh, maybe a piece of software, whatever it might be. You know, you had um, you know maybe a six month average sales cycle, and there were you know twenty five different places that you you touched the cust- the potential customer along that journey from the initial lead to the point of close, and that was reasonably predictable, and that was something that people could reasonably assume was fairly straightforward. And companies really focused on how they were going to bring people through that selling process. So what's different now is that um, is that because buyers have so much more choice of the places that they can learn about information, they can essentially bypass a lot of those steps in your well-mapped-out selling process. And therefore, they could come into that process at, at really weird places, and they can skip parts of that process. And it, it might be, for example, that the first time a customer reaches out to you, they already are 80% along the way in their in their buying process because They've done extensive research. They've talked to existing customers of yours and and whatnot. And that means that all companies need to think very, very clearly about how they're going to adapt to this world where they no longer control the process, that the buyer controls the process. Mm -hmm. And it also brings to mind the notion of providing content because they're going to want that anyway. But the content can actually shorten the sales cycle if you're helping them out and providing them with information, even if you don't know that they're looking. Oh, absolutely. I mean, content's um, fantastic. And content has always been good as a way to move people along the sales process. But what's changed, I think, and this is a really important change, is that content generally is seen by most people as being at the top of the funnel. And because it's considered to be at the top of the funnel, in other words, I can use content to get um, more people interested in my company, more people interested in my products and services. I can create a blog post or YouTube video or a white paper, which would help to generate leads. That's what most organizations focus almost exclusively their content efforts on. But if you think about the process that a person goes through when they're planning on buying a product, there are so many more opportunities for content that's generated by a company to help educate and inform and drive people through that sales process. But there are are very few companies that do that well. There are very few companies that create content outside of the top of the funnel. And by truly understanding how a person goes through the buying process, they could be doing a lot more. I'll give, you a, I'll give you an example. I'm in the very early stages of doing a renovation on my home. And it's, you know, we're probably in the, the first month of a probably two-year journey by the time the home will be done. I mean, right now we're at the stage where we're just, we don't even know what we want to do yet. And over the last week or so, I've contacted four or five flooring suppliers because we want to have wood floors throughout our home. Right now we have mostly carpeting. And so I've asked a number of those organizations for samples. You know, I've said, hey, can you please give me samples of this particular flooring and that particular flooring? And everybody did a pretty good job on the sales side of things. You know, they would send me an email response and, hey, thanks for your interest. I'm going to get you those samples out right away. 
but nobody's really done a good job at following up with content. Videos of the flooring and what it looks like in the home. What, what do we need to know about for installation? What about care? You know, can I use this floor uh, if I have a dog? You know, which of these floors is going to wear better? Um, what are the things I need to think about when thinking about bamboo flooring versus oak flooring versus maple flooring or whatever other woods are available? And nobody's done that. Nobody's sent me any additional follow-up content after the initial thank you for requesting some free samples emails that I got. And that's missing an opportunity because here I am talking to four different companies. And guess what? I'm not unbelievably price sensitive that I'm only going to go with the lowest cost provider. I'm rather somebody who's more likely to go with the most helpful provider, even if it costs a few you know, a few cents more per square foot to get the same product. Mm -hmm. And there's an example in your book uh, where you and your wife were going to go to uh, Antarctica and you did the same kind of research and you ended up not going with the lowest price or the biggest company, but you went with the ones that had the best content where you would ask them or perhaps even tweet them a question about what do I wear? I mean, how, how many of us have gone there and know? And they sent you a video that they'd already produced. So, I mean, that was an example of a company that sat down and said, well, what are the questions we always get? Exactly. Exactly. And it's, yeah, that company is called Quark Expeditions. And yeah, I wanted to go to Antarctica and I was really excited about doing it. And, you know, yeah, right. You, you know, what do you, what do you wear? <laughs> there's, and there's, and there's, a bunch of, there's a bunch of questions. Yeah, seasickness. That's on. another one that I would have had. I know you, you said your wife, uh, that was an issue for that her. That was the biggest issue for my wife. In fact, she almost didn't go because the issue of seasickness was such a huge issue for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, you know, Quark Expedition solved that problem. We had, they had a video about what it's like to cross the Drake Passage. They had a blog post that was written by a doctor talking about what medicines are available to help you with um, seasickness as you're thinking about planning on crossing the Drake Passage. So there was, um, you know, there's a number of different very helpful things. And I could have gotten to Antarctica with a cheaper company, but I just felt like Quark Expeditions was the company that was the most helpful to me and provided the most information. You know, they had enough that I felt comfortable with them. Now think about what, what, going to Antarctica. It, it's twelve. It's two days sail from the southernmost city in the world, Ushuaia, Argentina. And, you know, do I want to go there on the company that's the low cost provider? I mean, in my case, no. I I'm happy to pay a little bit more money and go on the one that makes me feel the most comfortable. I mean, I'd like to return. (laughs) (laughs) It's like finding the low-cost surgeon. I'm just not sure uh, that's what you want to do. Uh, One last question before we wrap up our final questions is there's something in your book that I thought was very important. And that's where if you could talk about how social networking is like exercise. Sure. So um, a lot of people tell me that, you know, they understand my ideas. They understand that creating great content will help them to make sales. It'll be make their company have better customer service, better marketing, and they intellectually get it. But they just have trouble with the idea of, gosh, you know, can I myself be active on Twitter? I, I just don't have enough time, people tell me. I don't have enough time, they say, to Um, You know, you'd start a blog or do a a YouTube channel or some other form of content creation, an Instagram feed, whatever it might be. But And and they want to know, how do I find the time to do that? How do they find the time to do that? And I say it really comes down to creating a mindset shift. 
And it's much like the mindset shift that you have to make if you want to become fit and healthy. And the only way to become fit and healthy is that you have to quite literally change the way that, that you live. And in my case, when I turned 50, I weighed 207 pounds. I wanted to become much fitter and thinner and, and more healthy. So I started an exercise program. I exercise every single morning and started to eat right. And since that time, I've lost a little more than 50 pounds. And I've been much happier with my new uh, found uh, fitness and my new body. So that same approach of making it a part of your life is what's required if you want to be successful with social networks, you can't just dabble. Just like I can't eat one less piece of pizza every month and expect to get fit or exercise once a, once a week only and expect to get truly fit. You have to make it a part of your entire life. The same thing's true with being active in social networks. You know, one tweet a month isn't going to really do a whole lot, but making it a part of your life will. So I always like to suggest to people that, you know, think about this as like a fitness program. You have to make it a part of your life. Well, and, you know, like so much of your book, I, I, I've used that. <laughs> I've borrowed that uh, when I've Good spoken to, to other companies. Excellent. Um, well, uh, let's just go to the last three questions. Sure. What marketing book have you read recently that you recommend? I'm a huge Seth Godin fan, and his latest one, which came out a couple of weeks ago, is called What to Do When It's Your Turn. And it's always your turn. It's an interesting book Seth did. It looks more like a magazine. It's a very quick read. I read it in two quick evenings, although it's it's certainly short enough to actually sit down and read it in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I found it to be very, very helpful to me. I wrote a blog post about it uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, you might want to point to that in the show notes as well. It's um, a really great book, and um, it helps you to to overcome your fear of something that you think you want to do. Absolutely. And it was very inspirational, I found. Um, Are you it, ready to? Yeah, and it reminded <laughs> it sounds weird. It reminded me of being in airborne school in the Army. And oh. you're, you're about to jump out of the plane the first time, and there's a sergeant there screaming, go, go, go. <laughs> and yeah. it was like, it, it's going to be okay. Just get out there. Yeah. So, move, your, move your ass. Stop yeah. sitting down. <laughs> get going. But, yeah. it, but it was said, but it was, you know, written with a smile and, and yeah, his, his, exactly. his charm and wit. With all good, with all love. Yeah. 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 Are there any marketing books on your, this is the nightstand question. Uh, any marketing books on your upcoming reading list? Uh, no marketing books on the upcoming reading list. Um, I've got, um, I've got a boatload of books on my reading list. The one I'm in, I, when I'm reading, I, I read, I uh, actually read very few marketing books. Um, I read um, I read a lot. I, I'm very, very um, diverse in what I read. I, I find that the more diversity, the better in my case. So the book I'm reading now, which I quite in, I'm quite enjoying, it's called Clothes, 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 Music, 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 Boys, Boys, <laughs> Boys. And it's written by the guitarist from a, a 1970s punk band called The Slits. And she was friends with members of The Clash and The Sex Pistols. And uh, that's music I love, music of uh, the era when I was in high school and early in university. So um, I'm finding this to be a really, really fascinating memoir. And I'm uh, in the middle of that right now. Just the title alone is great. Pretty awesome. And I should add that on your Amazon site, you mentioned that you don't, review books unless you finished them, which means that you liked them. So there's a lot of other great recommendations. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. So, all right. I, I don't review every book I read, but I review some of them. And, um, 
you know, I'm an author myself. I've written 10 books. And, you know, negative reviews, I get it. I'm fine with negative reviews. If someone feels compelled to, to leave a negative re- review, I'm cool with that. I have left negative reviews in my, in my lifetime on a few things, but not many. Most of the time, especially with books, if I'm not enjoying the book, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna read it. I mean, I'm just too darn busy to, to read a book that I don't. I'm not enjoying. Life is kind of short. Exactly, and I've got probably hundreds of books that I've started and never finished. I just won't do it. I, you know, I'm if I'm two chapters in and I'm not. I'm not, I'm not enjoying it. Forget it. I'm not going any further. So, and I also have a, a personal rule that I'm not going to review a book unless I've read the whole thing. So therefore. I will never leave a negative review about a book. I shouldn't say never. Maybe there'll be a day. But I, I haven't read, left any negative reviews about books because I haven't read them all the way through. I feel I, have, I, I owe the author, the, the I, uh, before I write something negative about what they've done, uh, the uh, idea that I would read the whole thing through. Mm-hmm. And which blogs do you like to follow to stay up on business and marketing? I, I, one, one I particularly like is uh, in the music business. It's called Blogger. It's called Bob Leftsetz, L-E-F-S-E-T-Z, I believe is the spelling of his name. And Bob's um, an interesting old curmudgeon kind of a guy who has been in the music industry most of his life. He used to, I think he used to write for Rolling Stone, although I'm not sure. And he just analyzes the music business for what it's worth. And uh, I really enjoy the way he writes. And like I said, I, I, I learn a lot from reading about different things. I don't focus too much on just marketing or just sales. I'm, I'm very eclectic in the things that I enjoy. Well, and that may explain some of the appeal of the books you have written. Well, thank you. David, how can listeners find out more about you uh, and, and your books? Um, please um, check me out on Twitter. It's DM Scott. That's D-M-S-C-O-T-T on Twitter. I'm actually um, giving away a completely free book. I wrote it about five years ago. It's called Worldwide Rave. Mm-hmm. And uh, originally that book came out with Wiley. It was a you know typical $20, $25 book. And now it's completely free, cost zero as a PDF, as a, a Kindle book, as a uh, you know, whatever, whatever format, iPad, whatever format you're into, you can find that book completely and totally for free. And that's an, another way that you can get exposed to my ideas. Great. Well, David, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you very, very much for having me. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything we talked about in this episode are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get show notes emailed directly to your inbox when each episode is published. So let me ask you a question. Read any good books lately? I'd love to hear from you and get your recommendations. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and send me a message. Now I'd like to leave you with a quote from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, who said, I found reading books very intellectually fulfilling. Books allow you to fully explore a topic and immerse yourself in a deeper way than most media today.